Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Small Business Edge Podcast. Our guest today is Martine Omelior, a good friend of mine and uh, someone whose name I finally figured out how to pronounce. And that's correct, right? Martine Omelior. You speak it like a native speaker of Irish, Brian. And, and it's, it's probably, you have some difficult names on your podcast. I, but I do. I do. I have finally mastered it. It only took me a couple of years. Uh, Martine is many, many things, as you'll find out in today's podcast. He is the publisher of Belfast Media Group, the titles that live over in Ireland. And he's also the publisher of the Irish Echo in America. He's been involved in journalism for over four decades and has penned columns for both the Anderson Town Times, Anderson Town News in Ireland, and the former daily Irish language newspaper, La. He's the author of several books in both Irish and English. He's also been involved in politics, which we'll learn. He was the 59th Lord Mayor of Belfast in 2013-2014. He produces numerous events in both Ireland and in America, to help uh, business owners and and uh, corporate executives get involved in both the relationships in in Ireland and in America to strengthen the bonds there, and he is a tireless promoter of uh, uniting Ireland and the people of Ireland with the people of America, bringing everyone together. It, it's a fantastic story, and I can't wait to hear more about it with you. So, with that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Martine O'Mullior. Brian, thank you for the glorious introduction. I wish you could have kept going for another five or 10 minutes, but I suppose I had, I had to stop stop you somewhere. Um, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I've been listening to the Small Business Edge and and the associated podcasts for, for many years. I'm a big fan of not just Brian Moran, but of all the Morans, of Robert and Justine and the rest of your family, but especially of, of your mother, who I've had the great privilege of meeting, who's a real dynamo. It's wonderful to be speaking to you today because we've sort of come full circle here. 25 years ago today, uh, we signed the Good Friday Agreement, which brought peace to uh, to Ireland, to the north of Ireland, after 30 years of absolutely horrific um, Violence and killing and bloodshed, which you know, which had many, many, uh, many, many uh, participants and players, and and creating all that havoc. But we wouldn't have had that peace without America, without mm-hmm. Irish America. And I come from a, a generation uh, from West Belfast when it was very difficult for a, a Catholic, and I come from the Catholic community. I'm a, as my mother knows, I'm a very bad Catholic today, but I come from the. <laughs> You're still on the team. I come from a Catholic community and really it was very hard to get employment. There was a lot of mm. discrimination. My my late father, when he went to the local foundry, he was a sheet metal worker to get work in the 50s. They stopped him at the gate and said, we don't employ Catholics. So we mm. come from a hard place. But the one voice that was always raised for peace, but also for justice and equality, was the voice of Irish America. And that, uh, that bore fruit in a way that I never expected was I was deeply embedded in the political scene. I was a Belfast City Council member, but I actually didn't see any way out of that dark tunnel of of violence and counter-violence that we were in until uh, some of the pivotal players from America, including Bill Clinton and then, of course, St. George Mitchell, who did such a great job in getting all the uh, parties together to make peace. So we will have to thank um, America for it. And I know not every foreign adventure or intervention by America and it's cost a lot of treasure and a lot in human lives. Not everyone has been as successful as this. So that that debt, in my view, that debt we owe to Irish America has not yet been repaid. Pay it forward. That's well, we all that's, you know, that's all that's all America should ask is, well, is to pay it forward. And we'll 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 we're doing that in a number of ways. One we're staying the course we have created it's a fragile piece. It's an imperfect piece, but we've stayed the course with those in America who have said, if you can have a peaceful uh, disagreement, then we will continue to back you. And of course, tomorrow, uh, President Biden arrives and a visit to Ireland, starting with Belfast. So we're grateful for that wonderful international attention. And we know that you, you have our back and we appreciate that. And our pledge is to make sure the next 25 years are as transformative as the last 25 years. Well, there's so much that the world could learn from 
the Good Friday Agreement, the, 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 the peace treaty in 1994, the Good Friday Agreement, which was signed April 10th, 1998, and then everything that has transpired since then. But let me do this. For, for my listeners who aren't familiar with Belfast and, and Northern Ireland, let me just throw out a couple of facts and a couple of uh, statistics for you. Uh, Belfast, Ireland, is the second largest city in Ireland. It's the 12th largest city in the United Kingdom. It's the capital of Northern Ireland. In 2015, there were 333,000 people uh, in in Belfast. That number has grown uh, to 345,000 in 2021. There are about 75,000 small businesses, of which about 67,000 employ less than 10 people. But they really are the fabric that that holds everything together in Belfast, in the in the the main streets of Belfast. You know the shopkeepers on um, Lisburn Road, right? Is that what it's called, Lisburn Road? The, the 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 laundromat, the hairdresser, the the restaurants. Um, you know, for those people who uh, who over the last uh, you know thirty years, uh, twenty five years since the Good Friday Agreement, have have committed to opening shops in Belfast and committing themselves to being on the front lines as the peace process evolved. Um, we, we, uh, there are two major airports, right? George Best City Airport. And then of course the Belfast International Airport, two major universities, Queens University, Ulster University. And we liken the, the city of Belfast. Uh, there are twin cities in the United States uh, Boston being one of them, and there's actually a signed agreement about being sister cities, and Nashville. So use those two cities as kind of a, uh, you know, a, a guide for for what you might find in in the city of Belfast. Um, and there are major American corporations who do business uh, in Belfast, thanks to the Good Friday Agreement. Companies like City and Liberty Mutual, Allstate, um, Spirit Aerosystems, I think, employs 4,000 people, right? I read that in, in Ireland. But American companies make up uh, Rapid7 in Boston. They make up about uh, 30,000 employees in, in Belfast. So there really is this incredible relationship that the United States has with Belfast and with Nor- Northern Ireland. And, and that's what I'd love to get into. So... Let's let's do this. Let's start back at uh, at the beginning. So you believe it or not, and I, I may have never told you this. I went with my family in 1972 to Ireland. We stayed there for a month. We were we we were lived in a, a cottage. My whole family, uh, nine of us, in Maru, which is outside Limerick, and we toured all around Ireland. We didn't go up to Northern Ireland because uh, that's when kind of the troubles were starting. And, uh, um, but take us back to that time. I mean, I don't think people realize just how difficult it has been for the people of Ireland. Like you say, there are still people very much alive who have lost loved ones uh, from the troubles. So, so Brad, you know, I, I grew up in the 1970s. I was a teenager in the 1970s. In 1972, in Holy Thursday, 1972, my mother's best friend, Martha Crawford, was shot dead in a gun exchange between the IRA and the British Army. She was a mother of 11 children coming home from the shops with some sausages for the dinner. Uh, Later that year, another neighbor called Emma Groves, another mother of 10 children, she was shot in the face with what they call rubber bullets at the time by a British soldier, lost her sight, later became a great peacemaker yeah every day where i lived there were gun battles in the street states you know these were huge gun battles between the ira and the british army and as you know in any war those who suffer the most of the civilian population mm-hmm. and uh I, I come from a community which was deeply proud to be irish i have to tell you it was a uh it was a a a, a, a mark of pride to be imprisoned by the british to be interned without trial by the British. So we're a deeply polarised community. community, And um, we were a community that had no representatives. We had no representatives in Parliament. We had no voice. With the exception of Irish America, no one spoke up against the abuses of human rights carried out by the British government in that, at that time. However, the community I came from, I went to many too, too many funerals. 
but it's true also that our neighbours on the other side of Belfast who came from the, the Protestant pro-British community, they also suffered terribly. And I suppose when, having tried everything else, when it came to the late 80s, start of the 90s, a few very brave individuals, John Hume, Jerry Adams, uh, decided to try and find it. Is there another way to this endless cycle of cycle of killing? Mm. Uh, and and at that stage, I was a council member in Belfast City Council for Jerry Adams's party for Sinn Fein, a party which believes in the reunification of Ireland. And it was uh, it was something I was very proud to do. But it was a hard station at my first meeting in City Hall in 1987 and in, in November 87. I was put out of my first meeting by the police after 10 minutes <laughs> for speaking in Irish. Um, I was barred from all committee positions. I wasn't allowed to attend any civic function if a if a visiting dignitary came to the came to the city. Myself and my colleagues weren't allowed to to attend. And of course, above all else, we were not were not allowed to go into the mayor's offices, what we call the Lord Mayor's Parlor. So we were very much put at the back of the bus. But it was a a time when you know the people on the other side of the aisle from us, they felt that we were very much the enemy. Uh, they felt we were out to to not only to do them down, but to damage them, to 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 destroy their com- community. Um, and it wasn't a time when there were many voices urging reconciliation. And at the, t- at the end of that period, when we got in 1994, we, we managed to work out a, a number of ceasefires that all the parties said, British British government, the the Irish Republicans and, and those who were pro-British to stop, to stop the violence and find another way. Yeah. And, and the Good Friday Agreement was a miracle, an absolute miracle, um, because anyone at, at the at the heart of that would have thought there was no possibility because there was just so much enmity, so much bitterness, so much hatred, uh, and also still so many abuses of civil rights that there was it could have gone on ad infinitum. And you see that in other parts of the world where there have been peace processes which stop start. Um, so for me... Uh, the greatest gift I received was the gift of the peace process. When I was on the Belfast City Council, I wore a flak jacket every day to go to work. Mm. In the mornings, I would go out, I would look onto the car. I would then jump on the back bumper of the car because I was afraid there would be a bomb onto the car. I would then jump on the front bumper. Then I would drive the car. Then I would turn the car around. Then I would put the children in to go to school. A favorite way to assassinate people was to assassinate them as they left the house in the morning. So I wanted to be as careful as possible about my routine. So it was not normal, Brian. We made it normal, but it was abnormal. And the fact that a number of people, including Tony Blair, including the Irish Prime Minister at the time, Bertie O'Hearn, including President Clinton and later George Mitchell, that they said, look, we we can do better than this and we'll, we'll, we'll talk to everyone. So without preconditions, they, they talked to everyone. And that's, in my view, what brought us the, the, the peace, this idea of inclusion, of mm. justice, a seat for everyone at the table. And I'm a big fan of Langston Hughes's poem, I Too Sing America. And he says, mm. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and grow strong. I eat and, and grow strong. And, and then he says, when, when tomorrow comes, I'll be at the, I'll be at the table. Mm. And, and that really was what we needed. We needed someone to say, look, we understand there's been injustice here, um, but we, we're going to find another way to resolve that other than the use of violence. And that has been transformative in my lifetime. To me, when I look at it, I think it's not the, the peace. The agreement was not a zero sum game, meaning that in order for one side to benefit, the other side must suffer. Right. That that you must, you know, equal things out like, uh, oh, we need you need to pay back for the sins of your fathers or for for what you did wrong. You know, it's kind of what what Lincoln did at the end of the Civil War, you know? Everybody wanted wanted the South to pay for their wrongs and what they did. And he said, you know, let them go home and you know, they too have suffered. You know, we must come together as a country. You know, if we can't do this now, we'll never be able to do it. And so what is any negotiation in business uh brand because we talk about it being win-win. But it's also lose lose. Mm. You know, you have to compromise. And some of the great peacemakers that I saw in my time were people who suffered terribly, terribly. Yeah. And and you know, one gentleman who lost his wife in a an IRA bombing 
of a fish shop on the on, on one of the pro-British parts of West Belfast. Uh, Alan McBride went on to become an exemplary peacemaker, and he becomes a, he became a peacemaker for his children. Uh, I should tell you one little uh, vignette. I when I was the the mayor of Belfast, and people say it was a clerical error. Brown. <laughs> I, was, I was the mayor of Belfast in 2013 and I, I appointed 10 chaplains. You, you know yeah. who chaplain is. And I appointed the rabbi of Belfast, the imam from the mosque. And I give the Christians four chaplains because, as you know, in this city, the Christians fight a lot. So I had a Catholic chaplain, but also Presbyterian, Methodist and Church of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I used to, go to Met- I used to go to the Protestant churches a lot, much to my mother's dismay, instead of going to Catholic church. But I came into the Presbyterian Church in South Belfast one Sunday, late as always, and and I asked the lady beside me, could I sit down close to her pew? And she said, of course. And she put her hand across and she says, uh, my name's Anne Graham. Uh, the IRA murdered my brother. Mm. And she said, That's why I'm welcoming you to sit down here. And I thought to myself, wow, what a peacemaker. What a lesson uh, for, for all of us. How many of us could do that, Brian? How many of us could do that? I don't know if yeah. I could. And and she never forgive the IRA. I don't don't get me wrong. She's you know still full of grief and sorrow for that. But she had the guts to move us all, as Van Morrison said, and Van Morrison, of course, is our one of our greatest uh, native sons, to yeah. move us all to the bright side of the road. She was willing mm-hmm. to say to someone, me, who represented the polar opposite of her political view, come and sit beside me, despite yeah. all, because we need to make peace. There's. There's so many great and unbelievable lessons to be learned from this. So so you have the, the treaty in 94, the peace process, Good Friday Agreement kicks in into 99, 1998. What are the first three to five years like after that agreement? Well, the absence of violence is wonderful. Did, were uh, you still checking that, your car? Well, I stopped checking my car. Um, you know, I, I, you, you do. You're, we're creatures of habit. It took a while for poor people would take down fortification outside the the British Army uh, stations or outside the police stations or outside the political offices. However, and it wasn't a perfect peace. It took it took time before all those involved in in the campaigns uh, delivered on their part of the peace process. You know, the British uh, made a big move when they said they would release all the prisoners. So, mm. you know, there was a lot of. Irish Republican Army prisoners in jail who would still be in jail today, probably. Ran, but Tony Blair said, "That's our part." Okay. You said, "This isn't easy for us, but for the peace, for the future generations, we're going to make that contribution." And it wasn't easy. One of the big steps for the IRA leader was they destroyed all their weapons. Now, wow. there's there's when you say, and you know, a, a negotiation in business by trusting the other side and taking a leap of faith. Yeah. IRA to do that, say, look, we have all these weapons, but we're destroying everything. I mean, that was a great vote of confidence in, in the community, in the peace. And it was saying to people, there's only one way forward. Uh, and those were those were huge steps. It's a very slow process. And, you know, a lot of people were hurt. You know, th- th- over 3,500 were killed and people say, okay, move on. Yeah. Very hard to move on. Uh, I have met people. 8,500 people over 30 years. 30 years, yeah. Um, so that's that death. It's almost like death by a thousand cuts, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not eighty five hundred people lost in a single day or a single week. So it's, sorry, Brent, 3,500. Three, but thirty five hundred. And and the seventies were the worst years. But I will meet people today who will talk about their their uncle or their mm-hmm. grandfather who they never met. Who was shot dead in 1972 yeah. and remains a, a, a key part of their family. Let me tell you this: on the 11th of May 1922, my grandfather was attacked in his home by a pro-British uh, militia. He was shot seven or eight times. His brother beside him was shot eleven times in the same attack, and the third brother was shot dead. Mm. Now that's 1922. Last year, and uh, my mother's one of the the oldest surviving. Uh, children of, of 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 the three. Last year, the family met, unveiled a headstone in a, a small graveyard in South County Derry, um, and it was an emotional occasion. One hundred years later, Brian, one hundred yeah. years later. So, can you imagine how how deep the, the the wounds are, how raw the wounds are, and sometimes the victims, those 
those 3,500, maybe 50,000 injured. Sometimes mm. the victims think they've been forgotten about, that yeah. they, they've been passed over. There's there's still huge intergenerational trauma here from those terrible years of, of bloodshed, and, which, were a, which were a horror show. Mm. So there's a- Were there, awful, were there, any, were there any acts of violence after the agreement was signed? Like people who did not want the agreement to be signed and said, well, I'm going to see if I can stir things up again. Well, the most infamous and the most horrific was in August uh, 1989, uh, the OMA bombing by a, a, a pro-Irish reunification splinter group, which killed, um, I think it was 38 people. And we'll just, mm. we'll just check those numbers before we leave. Um, so it was, it is and was an imperfect piece. Mm. Um and and even even last month, a police officer, uh, and we have a new police force that was one of the the uh, sorry the Oma bombing was nineteen ninety eight. Immediately after, immediately after the peace deal, a group of uh, former IRA people set up a splinter group and planted a bomb in a market in a market town, uh, which really it's killed 20, 29 people. So. Threats to the peace process are very real, Brian. And one of the great things in recent years is that we have had this uh, support from the European Union, uh, from the Irish government in Dublin, from Washington, and everybody's saying that you know we understand the peace is always fragile, it's always imperfect, but we're going to keep it keep it on the rails. And one of the threats to the peace process was when the English voted to leave the EU uh, with Brexit. Uh, here in Northern Ireland, we voted to stay. Despite that, the British said, we're going to take you out with us and we're going to put a hard border back on the island of Ireland, which would have been a, a really stupid thing to do. And it would have been a terrible provocation to have uh, a fortification on the border again, which we had in the, in the old days. Today, yeah. if you go to Belfast and Dublin, Brian, Belfast to Dublin, you won't know when you cross the border. It's an invisible yeah. border. And the threat of Brexit was it would come back. But the 27... Uh, countries of the EU said that's not going to happen, and they actually made an, a, 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 an agreement, which brings to us huge economic advantages. But so it's so it's it's like trying to keep a bicycle up straight. You need yeah. to be vigilant. You need to keep paying attention to the peace process to ensure it, it succeeds. And thankfully, thankfully, that's happening from all those those partners who all those architects of the agreement. It, you know, it's it's again, there are so many lessons that that the world should be studying wherever there is conflict or wherever there is, um, you know, poverty and crime. I mean, in the U.S., how many how many U.S. cities would benefit from some sort of peace, internal peace agreement within their cities, you know, where crime is is soaring? And we're seeing it now in, in a lot in the U.S. where people don't feel safe in the streets. You know, there's a lot of polarization in the United States between the two political parties. And, and there, you know, you have those splinter groups in the Republicans and the Democrats. It's almost as if the, the moderate Democrats and the moderate Republicans are moving closer to the middle going, okay, I don't recognize that other group that call themselves Republicans or that call themselves Democrats. I feel like I'm more in line with you on the other side of the aisle because there's common sense here. Like we want, we want what's best for everybody. But but you're seeing these now. It's it's these warring factions, and you, the result is, um, you know, the result is there's a lot more crime in in the U.S. in in some of our major cities. There's a lot more unrest. There are a lot more splinter groups fighting for their own piece of the turf, and nobody's winning right now. Education is suffering. The pandemic certainly uh, e elevated and escalated the 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 conditions, the how bad things were. It's kind of like, you know, when the when the tide pulls out to sea, you see everything that's left on the bottom of the ocean. And and there are some issues that we have that that we could learn from what's happened in, in Belfast and Northern Ireland over the last 30 years or 25 yeah, and years. You, and you know, respect, I mean Aretha Franklin a long, long time ago sang about respect, but respect was core to our situation because when I was a when I was young man and my father was a young man we, we weren't respected here we were second class citizens we were we were back of the bus 
Um, so respect, which is intangible, it isn't actually dollars or cents, but it's but it's so crucial to how you deal with your issues. And then this issue of inclusion, that there's a seat for everyone at the table. I'm always, you know, we're always really bewildered and, and saddened by the violence in American inner cities. And I see another shooting, another shooting today. Almost, uh, you're almost an outlier in, in the Western world. These these continual shootings and and yeah. shopping malls and and in in in, uh, in schools and so on. And that that causes us uh, great great dis- dismay and distress, especially since you know I've seen American governments committing. Uh, significant and substantial help to uh, Northern Ireland and to the peace process, including laterally appointing a special economic envoy to Northern Ireland, Joseph Kennedy III. Mm. Um, and I think to myself sometimes, my goodness, they're spending more time on us than they're spending in, in inner city Philadelphia or in the city of Chicago, where the sort of homicide numbers would make the numbers who died during our terrible years of conflict pale into, uh, into almost insignificance because there's so many people killed on the streets. I have to say that, you know, when I listen, you know, and, and I love hearing the stories of the entrepreneurs and small business owners and what you call passionate small business owners. But one of the sectors that um, doesn't get enough recognition here for building the peace are are those small business owners. Mm. When I listen to the interviews, it's very rarely uh, when I listen to some of the fascinating interviews you'd had, not, not least the Buddhist lady on, in, in Oakland where, where I've been. Oh, Oakland. I love her. Judy Oakland. Henderson. Judy Henderson. Oakland has its share of troubles. But you don't hear too many of the people on your show saying, I really set up my own business just to make money. And please God, they will make some money and, and get a return yeah. on all the, the blood, sweat and tears they put into their businesses. But here, if it wasn't for the small business community, and not only those that are, that are you know, the shopkeepers and so on, but also there's a small uh, technology companies, uh, small, small company, small, small hotels, uh, tourism is an absolutely new industry for us, but it's it's employing around thirty thousand people as well. It's around three million visitors in uh, twenty nineteen, just before the pandemic. In twenty nineteen, two million people from North America came to the island of Ireland. In fact, one in ten of every person on vacation from North America stopped in Ireland who went to Europe stopped in Ireland wow um, so so we have you know we, we're very grateful for that but a lot of people have made small businesses on the back of that also in Belfast we have a huge filmmaking industry so Game of Thrones is made here mm-hmm. new uh, Superman prequel is made here um and and we have we have done well because of not only because of that foreign direct investment from America but there's lots of small businesses built on the back of the film industry so it's important to salute the small business people because, as in America, if someone says, you know, I'm not going to, emig- I'm not going to emigrate anymore. You know, maybe during the tough years of the 70s and 80s, people went to London or Melbourne or Toronto or New York. But I'm going to stay here and I'm going to open a restaurant here, uh, or I'm going to open a, a a business here, a service business or an accountancy office, uh, and I'm going to try and make a go of it. Those are the people who turn the lights on, who invest. Who, who bring life back into areas, make places safe again, make people believe again. And, you know, many of your small business owners are also uh, driven on, inspired by love of community and wishing to build yeah. community, community. But here it's the same. It's the small business people who, in my view, who created the jobs because the best uh, social program ever is a job. Um, and, and I think that's true of inner city America as well. People want a job, which hopefully is a breadwinner job, which which will, you know, they, they'll need to get skills for, um, which they're respected in. And this, it's a, the, the, the American investment was crucial here, but so also were those small businesses cr- that created those jobs and really seized the opportunity. So uh, I'm, and, and I left politics in 1997 went into media business in Belfast, newspaper business. I bought out three partners over 15 years. So it was a long, long time. Uh, but we had a very successful uh, newspaper business, community newspaper business, when newspapers were very successful, probably up until 2012, 13. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's nothing as enjoyable, as you know, as people, all the people involved in small business know, there's nothing more enjoyable than moving the chess pieces and getting a return. Uh, tackling the problems, uh, looking at your strategy, looking at marketing—that uh, there's a, there's a thrill in that, but there's a added thrill when you see that it's providing people in an area who previously couldn't get employment. It's providing them with employment and providing them with hope. 
So if I walk down the main street in Belfast, am I seeing Protestant businesses next to Catholic businesses? It's God. Uh, absolutely. And, and by and, the way, you- and, and are they hiring each other? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the great things, so when, when, when my father was growing up, all the big industries in Belfast didn't employ Catholics. They just didn't. So yeah. you know that we built the Titanic here in the shipyard. Yeah. Sad, the shipyard was 95% Protestant. The Catholic workers were driven out of it. So it's very sad. One thing about all the American companies, when they came in, when Allstate came in and Liberty IT and Chicago Mercantile Exchange and New York Stock Exchange and City, they don't care if you're green or blue or Hindu <laughs> or Catholic. They just they just want the best workers. Yeah. And it, it is would be unimaginable that any of those blue chip American companies would say, we don't like this type because they worship at a different church on a Sunday or, or a Saturday or whatever. So not only would you see if you walk down our high street, would you see a small business belongs to someone from the from the Catholic community, someone from the, the pro-British Protestant community, community, but you'll also see a business belong to a Filipino and you'll mm -hmm. see a business belonging to a Polish person, and you'll see a business belonging to a, a refugee from Syria. Uh, and the peace process not only brought in this American investment, it also, for the first time, allowed new communities to come in. So we have a big community now from the Philippines working in, mainly in the car industry, but their children aren't working in the car industry. They study hard. They're family-oriented. Their children are now going on to be accountants, going on to be workers in the software industry. We have a big population from Kerala, India, where they are, well, it's a very famous Indian state because they're communist and Catholic. Mm. Uh, and, and they also started in the current industry have moved on. When I was in politics, I was endorsed every year by the Bangladeshi Society of Northern <laughs> You worked hard to get their vote. One of the secrets, of course, uh, they're all Muslims, but one of the secrets is that the greatest Indian restaurants in Belfast are all run by the Bangladeshis. They're all Bengal restaurants. So mm -hmm. these new communities are way as well. And, and and you know, we we look at the two colours here in America, green for Ireland, orange for, for the orange men, for the Protestant. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all these rainbow colours, the, the more colors in this city, the better. And, and they have brought new cuisines, new languages, new way, new, new approaches, and all focused on, on family, on education, on, on, on health and doing better. And that's been good for us. The, the more we're distracted from the orange and green, the better. So what, what I refer to, you know, I, 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 I blog or I under newbelfast.com, but that new Belfast needs to be inclusive, not only of Protestant and Catholic, but of everybody else. And just for, for this brand, when I was growing up, in the 70s in Belfast, we didn't know what a gay person was. Um, yeah. Of course, we were surrounded by gay people. We didn't know it. It was never really mentioned except in derisory terms. But the biggest parade in the city of Belfast today, and Brian, we have a lot of parades in this in this country still, but the yeah. biggest parade in the city of Belfast is the Pride Parade every summer with wow. 55,000, 100,000 people. And people are really just saying, look, we want to, we want to, we want to try something. You know, we want to, we want to make space for everyone. And yeah, almost as if the entire community comes in, comes together and says, "This is emblematic of where we want to go. We want to have a society where, if you if if, if live and let live, love your neighbor as thyself." And 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 the pride parade is one of the the great moments in the city because it's a moment of great unity. I think that diversity that's developed over the last twenty five years has strengthened the fabric of the city and the outlying community that. It's not just black or white, Protestant or Catholic. Now you've got such a range in, in your diversity. As you mentioned, you know, so many different ethnicities and races and people who've come from all over the world to call Belfast home. That, I think, is, is a significant factor in why you are where you are today. And, and Brian, you know, I, I believe very strongly that our best days are ahead of us. I, I always say... I went back to politics in 2011 because it's, it's like a bug, even though I, by then I was living <laughs> in the Irish Echo in New York and having a great crime because I have such great admiration for Irish America. Well, I got a chance to stand again for election in 2011. I was returned to Belfast City Council. I was returned to a new Belfast. The demographics had changed. Those who favoured peace making, bridge building, sharing were in a majority. Uh, the nice bit of karma for me was they made me the Lord Mayor on my return from being mm. banned from the offices my first time when I came back, they, they made me the Lord Mayor. How uh, did that feel? How did that feel walking in to the mayor's office the first time? Well, 
I mean, it's an unbelievable privilege, in my view, to stand for election at all and to see people put an axe against your name. But it was, without a doubt, it was a, a wonderful moment. But what I did was I opened the door. Mm. No one was banned. During my year, I don't care, Prince, Prince or Pauper, British soldier, as it turned out, or former IRA prisoner, everyone was welcome. And I went and I and some of my political opponents who were pro-British said, he's going to take down the picture of the Queen because they had a picture, they had several pictures of the Queen. I said, look, we're not taking down the pictures of the Queen. Well, we'll put up the picture of the President of Ireland and we'll mm. put up things that represent the other traditions in the city, including the new ethnic minorities. Mm. And in, in that way, we said, this is a shared space because, you know, the comment, you talked about it earlier and, you know, the polarization of American politics yeah. is very wearying for us, very distressing. Um, but the common ground, my job is 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 as first citizen, as we call it, as Lord Mayor, as Mayor, was to expand the common ground. And that's what I spent my time in office doing. And that's a great reward. So uh, during my time in office in August 2013, Brian, I was attacked in a park. I went to open a park. And a very I saw strong, that video. I yeah, saw that video, it's, yeah. It's, it's sort of sad. It was a very yeah. pro-British part of the city, but I'd, we, had, we had done two openings, one in a very strong Catholic area. Mm-hmm. Uh, then... As Lord Mayor, and I had done that with my my colleagues from the other side of the aisle. Then we went to the Protestant area to open the second one. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle disappeared like snow off a ditch, and uh, they left me isolated. And then a mob gathered who who attacked me. It's very sad for this city. Yeah. Um, but uh, after that, I think we made I made two pledges. One is, look, we'll go everywhere. I mean, you you can't have a city where you say there's certain places where the 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 Lord Mayor can't go. And actually, you know, that that attacked that attack uh, really demonstrated the people in the city that that's not that's not what we want. Mm. We want we want a way to bring uh, to bring every everyone uh, together. And and that was you know that was a uh, that was a difficult moment. But the city came through that moment. It's pretty small compared to what it suffered in the past. But the city yeah. came through the moment, and from that attack actually got stronger and the common ground was was made stronger because of you know stupid people thinking that they could get away with that. So the changes have been enormous. But when I say our best days are ahead of us, because of the uh, the Brexit withdrawal protocol, which they call the Windsor framework, we yeah. are the only region in Europe, the Northern Ireland region, the six counties of the north of Ireland, is the only region in Europe which is halfway in the EU and halfway out of the EU. So we're still in the UK jurisdiction. And you know, my dream, Brian, is to have a United Ireland, peaceful United Ireland, where we uh, are sovereign and on our, on our own island. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we're still in the EU single market. We're still in the customs union. There's no hard border on the island. We're also allowed to trade a frictionless fashion with Great Britain, market of 60 million, and with the 450 million in the European Union. We're the only people in all of Europe that has that. So if you're making green batteries here, if you're making wind uh, turbines, blades for wind turbines, uh, if you're making uh, hydrogen buses, and we make hydrogen buses here, this is the only place in Europe where you can trade with both jurisdictions without any tariffs at all. And uh, coming on the 25th anniversary of the agreement, coming with President Biden arriving and having appointed an economic envoy, like we're being set up. So if we squander this opportunity with no one to blame but ourselves, and I'm really hopeful because we still have political gridlock here. It's a very difficult political situation, but I'm really hopeful we'll seize that opportunity, if not for ourselves, for our children and our grandchildren, and say, look, there is a better way here. And we can be the most prosperous city in Europe. So 25 years ago, I wouldn't have given you a tuppence for the chance of there being a peace agreement. Uh, and, And this is coming from someone who was embedded in it and embroiled in it. I thought it was impossible. Yeah. Now we've moved on, but imagine in, in 10 years' time, we could be the most successful city in Europe. We could be an economic powerhouse. And the EU negotiators, the 27 uh, states which negotiate with Britain, I remember their chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, coming here and saying, this is such an offer. This is such an offer because the EU do not like anyone being half in, half out. But they said, we're going to give you this offer because... The peace in Ireland uh, is the crowning achievement of the European Union since the Second World War, and they wanted to protect the peace. So we have had more than enough of our, of, of, we've had our share of help from the EU, 
and from America, and now it's up to us. And the people who must lead their renaissance have to be the small businesses who will seize those opportunities. Well, I, w- I want to talk a little bit because we're in the home stretch. So I want to talk a little bit about this 2028 project. Is it 2028 or 2030 project? What? Well, 2028 will be 30, 30 years from the Good Friday Agreement. And I think okay. that's a good date, you know, um, and... Uh, what so what what I'm what we're trying to do is we're creating a new model for journalism. Um, yes, there they, we will be the first new. So our newspapers in Belfast will be the first newspapers in Ireland, north or south, to become a social enterprise, to become a not for profit. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, the newspaper model is troubled. Uh, it has the the old advertising model is no longer working, and yet. I believe that journalism is absolutely fatal. If we didn't have a free press, we wouldn't have had a peace process. People who are willing to hold governments to account, people who are willing to hold the IRA to account, people who uh, asked the awkward questions and and reported truthfully on what was happening and told the world what was happening. If it wasn't for that, uh, there had to been the blanket censorship that we associated with with uh, with China. Uh, today, for example, the world wouldn't have known the suffering that was going on here and the repression going on here. So journalism for me is a bedrock of democracy and we need to ensure that local journalism, that's people who are out there telling people the stories of what's happening in their community, fighting disinformation, saying that, you know, just because it says on on Facebook that a a vaccine against COVID is going to make you infertile doesn't mean it's true. Um, Right. And that's the point. Hold on. That's the point that I think is so critical today. So your 2028 project is about maintaining independent journalism in in Belfast and in Northern Ireland and staying connected in in the United to to people in the United States and around the EU because with social media and now artificial intelligence and and you know this chat G- CBT the idea is that you can create biased journalism you know, and 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 get it out faster than ever before. And there are, you know, in the United States, you can look. I can look at a newspaper or a TV station, and I can tell you what they're going to say before they say it. the The news in the United States is is become very biased, which is unfortunate. I went to journalism school. I had tremendous respect for, you know, obviously Edward R. Murrow, Walter Cronkite, even uh, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw. Uh, I'm going to name a couple, uh, Pete Hamill, uh, Jimmy Breslin, even Tim Russert from Buffalo was probably one of the last of the really true great journalists. Barbara Walters, she loved that little society stuff, but but also uh, Helen Thomas, the White House correspondent. All of these people were respected journalists because they fought for not only the truth, but accuracy in their reporting. And today, everything leans so far to the left or so far to the right that it's not giving it, it, it. It's I blame half our troubles on the media because the media doesn't take their job seriously because they're either chasing the dollars, they're chasing the followers instead of doing what they were supposed to do, and that is provide provide a news story and let people make up their own minds. Now they're trying to make up the minds of the people. So, you know, if you want fearless, independent journalism, if you believe that that helps to build communities, makes them stronger, increases engagement in democracy, then we have to find another model for newspapers. So what we're doing is we have uh, now set up a not-for-profit. Uh, I will I will gift, I will give the, the newspapers, which have a much reduced value anyhow, but I'll give those newspapers to the not-for-profit. It will have a chance to start a new uh, it will have to improve its commercial operation, but as well as that, for the first time, it can go to uh, not only government agencies and and philanthropic agencies here, but it can go to America and it can say to those Irish Americans who who built the piece, who love the piece, who invested in the piece, you can contribute to this uh, newspaper and newspaper group, which is going to keep keep the faith with the peace process. It's going to build the peace. It's going to build stronger, cohesive communities. And really, it's that you know, it's the grassroots that keep the peace. It's not either President Biden or our President, our Prime Minister Sunak, or anyone else. It's it's at the grassroots that the peace is kept and maintained. And that's the job of this 
uh, new not-for-profit format. And we will be going to America and saying to our patrons there, will you support this? Will you uh, contribute some of your dollars, become a patron? But as well as that, what about going to some of the great journalism schools in Irish-American uh, schools? I believe you have a connection with Marquette. Um, <laughs> I do. So I went to Marquette great, Journalism School. Yeah. And there are so many great Irish-American uh, and Catholic schools. And if they want hands-on experience, what it's like working on the front line in Belfast, well then why can't we make an agreement with them, an arrangement with them that they contribute to us? We train their students over the over the study abroad period, but they contribute to our coffers so that we can keep reporting for the people we represent, be the voice, be the voice, trusted voice of our community. I would I would go so far as to say looking at all different journalism schools. I'm sure if if there was a Protestant school, you would you would take would you yeah where you're talking about a true rainbow coalition of future journalists who can come learn right at at Belfast Media Group and and be able to report on stories and provide information that is people can go to and pick it up for an accurate depiction of what's happening in yes, Belfast today. Yes, we're, we're on the web at belfastmedia.com. And if you really want to find out what's happening in the heart of the, the pro-Irish area communities we represent, that's where you find out from our opinion writers. You really, I mean, I, you know, I'm a big fan of American journalism, but you want to find out the, the real version, come, come, come to the well and find out there. We always make our first port of call the Irish-American universities. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking even some of the smaller ones like Manhattan College, Iona University. Sure. Um, and and those are people who, you know, Irish America was absolutely cheered by the peace process. It's one of when I meet Irish Americans, they say, look, you know, that was a great gift to us that you finally made a way to to, to bring peace to Ireland. Uh, and therefore, the Irish American universities might be of a special, a special part to play. Um, but then you know that anyway, Brian. So the 2028 project. I think we, we we did talk about this before. What you're looking for from American universities, among other groups, it could be uh, American corporations, it could be corporations anywhere in the world listening right now. You're looking for them to make an annual commitment from 2023 to 2028 that will help support independent journalism in Northern Ireland. Is that correct? Uh, that That's absolutely correct. And we, we need from Irish America, in my view, we need about $100,000 a year between now and 2028. We'll, we have, we'll be raising money here. Some local people here, of course, small business people will be putting their money where their mouth is and becoming patrons as well. Uh, but we need that that Irish American um, commitment. And it's a, it'll be a commitment right into the grassroots. And in the US, at the minute, there's about $1 billion a year in philanthropic money put into journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, but the vast majority of those philanthropic organizations do not invest or do not contribute outside the U.S. But we need some Irish Americans who will say, no, I, I, that'll be my contribution to maintaining the peace, building the peace, encouraging reconciliation and delivering social justice to get involved in supporting uh, this new not-for-profit um, newspaper group. Let's make it happen. Put me down as somebody who will talk to not only Marquette, but other colleges and universities in the United States to help support independent journalism. Maybe there's an opportunity where they could send somebody over, right? And 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 be a reporter for your media company. We'd love that. And we've had American students before and we've had, you know, I mean, the great affection in this part of the world for America uh, really has to be seen to be to be understood. There's a great uh, we call gra, which is the Irish for love. There's a great gra uh, for America in in, in this city. Uh, uh -huh. It's a it's a great bond, and uh, to be able to link up with Irish America with America for this project would be a great boon for us in, in the time ahead. So, Brian, thank you for plugging my my latest project and for affording me so much time to bore the pants of your listeners. But just to reiterate, we the greatest thing ever happened in my lifetime was the peace. And without Irish American, without America, we wouldn't have that peace. So we're eternally grateful for that. Well, it's my pleasure, first of all. It's uh, to play any kind of microscopic role in in getting the word out to people about things that they can do to help support the peace process and to help support independent journalism. I think is is critical to our success. You'll be the you'll be the uh, standard by which 
you know, the future of journalism gets measured. That if this can be successful as a social enterprise, I think that's critical. I think that's what governments need to do. Forget journalism schools, although that's, you know, obviously much appreciated, but the government needs to do that just to keep the checks and balances in place, that there's someone reporting on what's right and what's wrong in government. It's like an independent body that, and and to do that takes courage. So thank you for creating this social enterprise. Now we got to see it, make it happen. So here's a, here's my commitment to you. I'm going to have you on later this year. We're going to talk about the update on where we are with the 2028 project. I'm going to reach out to people at Marquette to make an introduction there and to get the ball rolling. And then I'm going to look at some of the other journalism schools and communication schools around the country where we have connections and uh, we'll reach out to them as well. So you were a good student there, like you're in good standing in Marquette. I mean, I hope you weren't uh, there, you know. You can't see it, but I, I do have a diploma that's on my wall. <laughs> uh, Brian, thank you. I mean, we, we what we say, we used to say here in a time of pandemic was I give you my heart. So I say now to all your all your listeners, to to Irish America, to you and to, and to the Moran family, I give you my heart. Thanks for giving me this opportunity and this platform. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's again, it's my pleasure. And I look forward to continuing this discussion. And, and you know what? I got to come over to Belfast this fall. Yes. Where that's going to happen. So we're, I'm going to come over there and uh, I want to meet all of these local small business owners. Uh, we talked about this. I want to do our bricks or sticks workshop over there. I think that's a fantastic idea. You know. Brian, you, you know, of course, I, I've done the Bricks and Sticks uh, course in October of last year. It was fantastic. Um, you know, we, we say here, I'll put the cattle on. Do you say that in America? I'll put the cattle on? Ah, uh, yeah, sure. Well, I'm going to put the cattle on is, make you a cup of tea. So that means we're looking forward to your arrival yeah. in, in, in September. It, there was an ad campaign for Motel 6, and he says, we'll leave the light on. Okay, that's what we'll so do. That's what sure. we'll do. We'll leave the light on. <laughs> that sounds great. All right. Uh, Martino Moyor. You've been you. a fantastic guest. Thank you so much, uh, especially today on the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. This has been a highlight of my week, and it's only Monday. So I can take the rest of the week off. And to my listeners, thank you for continuing to listen to the Small Business Edge podcast. These are the guests that you've asked me to bring on the show to educate you, entertain you, enlighten you, and make you think more about how you can run a better, more productive business. So hopefully there are takeaways that Martine and I share with you today that will help you in your business and the relationships you have. Until next week, for another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast, I'm Brian Moran. I hope you have a great day. Take care. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.